Hey guys, have you heard about Anchor by Spotify? It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few others. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And I save the best part for last. It's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You can welcome to go to Disco 100 Radio, and at Disco 100 Radio, you can uh, on YouTube you can see us inside the studio and take advantage of the full green screen and everything that that entails. So, and also we're uh, if you want to call in tonight, uh, the phone number is six seven eight. Someone, if they would type that in the comments for me, I'd appreciate you six seven eight six three eight. 6626 6786386626 that is the number if you want to call in to the show uh and chime in with the conversation uh listen tonight we're going to talk some more about uh, uh, trying to get on this path towards better i don't know about you but that is my mission that is my only desire and that is to get on the path to better. Um, uh, I've been living on enough avenue long enough. Tired of getting some about some of us can testify that you've been living on barely get along boulevard long enough, and you have a desire to get to a place called better. And you know what? No matter where you are in life. Uh, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, we are still all, or ought to be all, a lifelong learners. And as we learn whatever uh, we learn and we uh, apply that to our lives, then that should, that in and of itself, should push us to get towards the path uh, towards better. How was your day? Did you have a good day? Did you have a good day? Uh, I did. I sat around the house. And did a whole lot of nothing. I enjoyed that. Disco, how was your day today? Um, it was what it was, man. It was what it was. That don't sound good, but uh, hey, but uh, I mean, it wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing to the point where it was negative. It was just another day, man, trying to figure things out. You know, like you said, uh, path in life, man. Yeah. How how your boys? Your boy did, did they? Uh, I know you told me about the one tragic situation, but how about the rest of the team? Did they, you got your uniforms and everything? They, they got ordered on Friday, man. So thanks to all who helped out. Uh, ordered the parents today. All right. So we still trying to don't we still trying to get it? Cause we put money up, so we are trying to get it back in. So okay, I got you. Personal I, money. I want to personally thank House of Restoration and Gerald Jennings. He uh, gave a substantial thank donation you. to thank help. You. Uh, to help your boys. Boys uh, ended up in an unfortunate situation and had to go to a, another park at Appreciate the last that. minute. 
Appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, I tried to talk to some people and get them to stand up. And if anybody else wants to donate to help Disco's boys, what's the name of your team? Tell, tell, tell them about your team. Team is the Milford Warriors. We're out here on Hurt Park, uh, Marietta, Georgia, 11 through 12, mm-hmm. and some 13s. Okay. And let me tell you, let me just give you the backdrop because he's not, he's a, he's a pretty modest cat. Because he wasn't trying to do anything to help himself. He was really trying to do this to help the boys. But they had paid all their fees at one park at the last minute. That park tried to change the rules on them. Didn't want to give them their money back. Somebody told them to come to another park. Didn't charge them all the fees. All they charged him for were the uniforms. And the uniforms are only $60. So if you are interested, like I said, in helping that team, uh, you want to make a donation, uh, feel free to reach out to me. And if you reach out to me, I will put you in touch with Disco 100 uh, on YouTube. He's at Disco 100 Radio. On Facebook, he's Ryan Govea, G-O-V-E-A. Did I say that right? Did I say it right? I know I can spell. Yeah, that, you said it right. All right, then, cool. So that's, uh, I'm just trying to, hey, I'm trying to plug you, man. I'm trying I to appreciate listen. it. Ain't man. no excuses, man. Hey, listen. I appreciate it. As, let me tell you something. As, as rough as things are in this society, yeah. and people want to try to stand in the gap or cause some of those things to stop happening, then it, it requires an investment. And some of that investment involves investing in our children. And that's and can I can I stop you right there? Yeah, sure. That's a sad part about it, man. You know, with this with coaching comes it's a perk and it's cons. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that a lot of these parents don't invest in their own kids. They don't. You got coaches doing more get putting more effort in your child than you put in your own child. Mm-hmm. And it's simple stuff. Yeah. Simple stuff. But that mentality, man, has been bred. Mm. It's it's not you know we don't wake up. Let me say something, uh, man. You know you you put one one too many L's in my intellectual stew. My bad, uh, but uh, but uh, you put one too many L's. Uh, I, I I think I told you too many. But that mentality, you know how that mentality's been bred, Disco. Talk to me. Because people have been used to been to being given handouts for so long. Entitlement, yeah. From parents, I mean, I mean for parents, yeah, bro. Wow. I mean you got so many people, man. I mean you got you get. Government assistance. You know what I mean? I, I know people, bro, that eat better on food stamps than I ate having a job. You know what I'm saying? Because you're talking about you getting five, six, seven dollars a month in food stamps, and then you got Medicaid that pays for you every time you go to the doctor. And you had a cat like me for four, five, six years. I didn't need, I couldn't even afford insurance. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, but these people can just go, and I don't want to say these people as, as though I'm marginalizing them but or pointing them out, but Things have been given for so long that when things are given to you for so long, you you come to expect handouts. You think somebody owes you something. It's a sense, like you just said. It's a sense of entitlement, yeah. and that's the last thing that we as individuals need to do is try to uh, get caught up in a place of entitlement. Considering as much as we had to go through in life, man. I, um, I mean, I, I, my, man, this is my story. I don't think I've ever really told you my story, man. I, I moved here because I told you about my ex-wife. I moved here mm-hmm. in 1995. Okay. I was, I was living in North Little Rock, Arkansas. I was working for the school district, um, and I, I wasn't in college at that particular time, but I was in the school working for the school district. Uh, I had met my girlfriend uh, that that summer, and uh, she went to school at Spelman. Okay. And so. Um, we hung out all summer long. I called myself madly in love, I guess, at the time. She moved down. He came back here to go to school. I came down here to visit Labor Day weekend. This is how, this is how crazy my weekend was. I came down. I, I flew to Atlanta from North to Little Rock Friday. Spent the night Friday. We drove from Atlanta to Little Rock or Pine Bluff. Sunday morning or Saturday night because I had to preach my family reunion on that Sunday morning. Okay. We pre- then, then we left Little, uh, Little Rock Pine Bluff Sunday, drove back to Atlanta, spent the rest Sunday night, and Monday all day, I went all day looking for a job uh, while I was here, uh, got a job on Monday, flew back to uh, Little Rock, um, excuse me, I flew back to Memphis, I'm sorry, I said Little Rock. Flew back to the part of Memphis. Flew back to Memphis on Monday night. Drove from Memphis to Little Rock Monday night. And Tuesday, I believe it was, I drove. I I, I packed my car up. I came to Atlanta with one hundred eighteen dollars in a trunk full of clothes. Wow! Started you started straight from scratch. Started from scratch. Stay. I think I stayed with her for about three or four weeks. 
her parents were mad because they didn't know that we had, you know, I moved out here. But I stayed down here for with her parents probably three or four weeks. Uh and uh I got a job in the car business. Uh I never would forget, man. That Friday I went to work. Uh and how and I was living in Austell but driving to Duluth. So it was a hump, but I didn't know no better because I was just went to a car dealership that was hiring that was hiring, and I took the first one that gave me the job. So man, I, I uh, get to work on Friday morning. I have no gas in my car and no money. I told you I came here with $118 in trunk full of clothes. Uh, I get to work that morning on, on a Friday morning, no gas. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I promise I don't know how I'm going to make it. And man, they hand me a check for $235 <laughs> because it was a, they gave us a check for being on the clock. Even if you didn't sell a, a commission, you didn't make a commission, they still pay, had to pay your hours. So I took that little $235, called my uh, girlfriend at the time, told her to meet me at the bank, went to the bank, started an account, put her name on the account, and that was the beginning. Two weeks later, my next check was $3,600. Wow. And then I got my apartment, and then my, I started my life, you know, here in Atlanta, man. So so I came down here, man, and, and, and then it seemed like for a period disco, it seemed like uh, I had... You remember King Midas? The, the song King Midas? The dude, you know, King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold. Yeah, I was saying Run DMC. Yeah, well, it was... Peter Pipe. It, yeah, okay, I'm thinking it was, about but that. But it was, it, was, it was based off of a child. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you had no kind of childhood. Then. I didn't know that, man. <laughs> you, was, you was tough your whole life. No, I, no, I thought King Midas was just part of the rap song. No, no, no. King Midas was a used to be like a fairy tale. <laughs> and the fairy tale. And the fairy tale that he had, everything that he touched. Basically. I did not know that. I thought it was yeah. part of the rap song. Every, no, everything, you, man, you remember, everything he touched turned to gold. Yeah, I know the song said it. Well, they took it off of him. Well, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, God. But yeah, he everything. So, I, but man, it was, a, it was a period when I came here, man. Mm -hmm. Not initially, but eventually. I had a stretch probably around 98, 99, maybe 2000. Where it seemed like I had a Midas touch, man. You know what I'm saying? It seemed like everything I was touching was turning to gold. Man, I had, I was in the car business, went into management. Management, man, I'm going to jobs with $8,000 guarantees. <laughs> with $8,000 guarantees and all that kind of stuff, man. And got bought my first Mercedes, man. I'm talking about went to the show, went to RBM, bought it off the showroom floor. You know what I'm saying? $876 a month. Bought a four bedroom house, you know what I'm saying, man. Everything was great, looked like, but and and I came and started with nothing, bro. I'm talking, about I came with 118 dollars. Now I did have a mind because I was raised with a daddy, you know what I'm saying. So my daddy had kind of taught me how to figure things out, and a lot of what he taught me though, I don't I don't know if he necessarily taught me directly, but he taught me indirectly. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, cause I I can say. Uh, that he definitely taught me directly from the standpoint, like when it was time to change the oil. You know what I'm saying? I had to go outside, pull the little ramps up, put them in front of the wheel, drive them up, drive them up on the ramp. You know, then get underneath the car, find the oil pan, pull the screw. You know, put the oil uh, pan underneath to catch to catch the oil. You know, unhook the screw, let all the oil run out of it, tighten the screw back up, go back up. You know, take the filter off also. You know, all that kind of stuff, put a new filter on. So I remember him directly teaching me how to change oil, but I don't remember him directly teaching me about credit. Mm. I don't remember him directly teaching me how to balance my checkbook or mm. how to be responsible with bills and all those kinds of things. But, we bought, but he bought a new car every two or three years. You know what I'm saying? We lived in one of the nicer houses in our neighborhood. You know what I mean? I was the only black on my street growing up for a long time. I was the only black on my street growing up. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. he gave us a good life, man. He gave us good expo exposure. I was raised with my stepmother. So my stepmother, she was the kind that took us to the art center. And uh, not only took us to the art center, but I knew the difference between a salad fork and a dinner fork. You know what I'm saying? I knew the difference between a dessert, a teaspoon versus a tablespoon. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I I was enculturated, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So so I had a good up upbringing, but I don't remember. Like I remember, like I remember tell them telling me to go to school, but I don't remember them telling pushing me towards a career. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? My daddy had a job with Southwestern Bell for years, and he worked that job for twenty plus years. All those kinds of things, but. I wouldn't push was that, that way. Was that considered a career for him, though? It was 24 years, I yeah. would think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean in that standpoint. I'm talking about 
him going to college and going to an actual career was that actually? Well, back then, I don't, a lot of them didn't go to school Correct. for careers. That's my they point. just got degrees. That's my you point. You're saying pushing you. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I mean, but some other friends were kind of pushed that way. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. um, and, and, well, and even if you don't push them that way, you still kind of plant the seed. Plant the seed. Yeah. Or you provide direction. I got you. You feel what I'm saying? Makes like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what my children are going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I really didn't. All I know is... So what that concept was for you, like, when they when they was in elementary, when did you start talking about where you wanted them to succeed? Or what, when did you start pushing them? Because I know you did a good, a, a good dad, a good job as a father. So somewhere down the line, you pushed them to be where they are today. Man, I, you know what, man? I, I think indirectly, Okay. I pushed them to be themselves. All right. At and what they, age, though, I'm saying? Uh, you just watched, sat back and watched. Just sat back and watched them, man. Okay. You know, man, I, I think, uh, I don't think there's a, and that's a, I'm glad you asked me that question because I don't think there's a template on parenting. You know what I'm saying? I don't think everybody should parent. I don't think you parent every child the same way. You mm-hmm. feel what I'm saying? Uh, with my children being exposed to sports at such an early age, you know what I'm saying? That was kind of the standard in our home. Okay. You know, I mean, you're talking about spending four or five, six days a week at the baseball field, you know what I'm saying? When he was, when Trey was younger, up until he was 13, I think, you know, it might be a couple of times a week, whatever. No, but, we, but we started tournaments. We started tournaments at nine. So if you started tournaments at nine, that meant Saturday and Sunday was at the baseball field all day, and you might have had a practice or two during the week as well. Mm-hmm. Then when you got 13, you had games pretty much every day. You had five, four, five, six, four or five games a week sometimes. So that created a discipline for them. All we told them were get good grades. Mm-hmm. That's basically all we said. The expectation was make good grades. And once you make XRP went down a little bit. Uh, and once you make, I'm looking at Bitcoin while I'm talking. I'm oh. you, I'm sorry. But, uh, but once you make good grades, we feel like, you know, then that opens up doors to do other things. Trey, Trey kind of Trey always said he wanted to play be a professional baseball player. And so we just felt like make your good grades, make your good grades, you're gonna end up doing what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? But he ended up getting a marketing degree, and then when he got a marketing degree, they ended up giving him an extra year of uh eligibility because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So he ended up getting a master's degree on top of that. So and and while he was there, and that and that's that's the good thing about education, is the more that you are exposed to through books, through articles, through essays, through lectures, through all these things, then you're 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 gaining exposure to the outside world, if if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? And as you and the more you expose to, the more you can become the effects of what you are exposed to. You feel what I'm saying? Like my son, he's he does very well with uh forex trading. He wouldn't have never got that from me, cause I I've never done forex trade. I'm, I'm not I'm not even interested in it like that. But because he was in school, and he found a group, you know what I'm saying, and then they and and he started learning more and more, and that piqued his interest. And when that piqued his interest enough, then that's what he ended up doing, and he does very very well at that. And now one thing I know about my sons, he likes making money. You know what I'm saying? So he does things that help him. Make money. My daughter, she wanted to be a speech pathologist. Kennedy wanted mm-hmm. to be a speech pathologist. For so you know, I'm going to school to do that. Well, after she looked at her transcript, after her first year, she was going to be a third of the way through a finance degree. So being a th- so she said, you know what, I can go into finance, and now I can use that to do all she wants to do is make money. She can use that to go into so many other areas. You know what I'm saying? So we kind of you play spades. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of let life deal the cards. Mm-hmm. And then once you deal the cards, you just put put all the cards in, you know, in the different little suits and all that kind of stuff. And you play the hand that's been dealt to, you know what I'm saying? And preferably you got enough spades and enough face cards to be successful in this game called life. You know what I'm saying? Because whether we know it or not, life is a game. It is. It is. And, and I'm and I'm be honest, man, like I said, I told you, I um I went through that spell. I moved here, you know, it kind of was ascending of uh, doing pretty good. And messed around and made a mistake, man, and made a mistake. After that, I made that mistake, I fell into like kind of a depression. And for a, man, a long time, I was walking on eggshells. You know what I'm saying? And when I'm walking on eggshells, I'm not living up to my full potential. 
And because I'm not living up to my potential, like it, it was almost, and I hate to say it like this, but since I'm on the air and I'm talking like this and I'm just, and it's just kind of coming to me this way, it, it was almost like life was kind of passing me by to an extent. Mm -hmm. Like I was staying stuck in a state of stagnation, if you will. I was stuck, you know, and everybody else is living life, moving on, going on, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, and now we were living, but we wasn't living life like that. You know, we were at a certain point, my ex and I, we were living vicariously through our children. Our whole life was about what they had to do, right? They mean, I take trade baseball practice. She take Kennedy to softball that practice. Your, yeah, that was your second part of your life. I yeah, got you. Uh, yeah, I mean, and so with all that happening, I stopped building me. You know, so I went, I went to, I was working at a car dealership. But before the before the car dealership, people man, people would never believe this. But before the car dealership, there was a time that uh I had a shoe shine stand mm -hmm. for about two or three years. I had a shoe shine stand. I literally shined shoes in an office building. Uh several days would I mean every day, really four four days a week or whatever it was. I shined shoes. Uh I would go to car different car dealerships. And I would be shining shoes there, and then after I went to the, and then eventually I started buying uh, and selling. I would buy buy clothes wholesale and sell them wholesale. I mean, and sell them. But I was doing what I had to do to try to take care of my family and try to put some money in my house, right? But it wasn't on the scale that I had become accustomed to. I'm used to making. I'm at that point in in two thousand two thousand. I mean ninety nine two thousand two thousand one. I'm used to making eight nine ten thousand dollars a month. I mean that's just that was the standard. And so you you think about it. Can you make eight nine thousand dollars shining shoes? No, you know what I mean. So that's and 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 a lot of shoes. That's a lot of shoes. And that was the, to me, based on where I had come from, it was both humbling to an extent, but it was also demoralizing, because I felt like I wasn't living up to who I was. You know what I'm saying? And and so. I did this for two or three years. And part of the time I was doing this, don't get me wrong, I was getting degrees. I was in school work. I was in school full time, you know, getting a couple of degrees and whatnot. Um, but uh, but after that, but after I me, mean, but after that long period of time, I went back to work and I didn't go back in a managerial capacity, but I went back as a salesperson. And man, my whole mentality had changed. I had a I had, I had something that I had never had before. You know what that was? A worker's mentality. Yeah. I never had a worker's mentality, man. I've always had the mentality of an entrepreneur, of an owner. Uh, my biggest motivation, it used to be a, a, a week, the week before. See, the reason why I would do commission jobs is because I didn't want you to tell me that I'm only going to make $12 an hour. Because if you tell me I'm only going to make $12 an hour and I work 40 hours, that means I can't make but $480 a week. And that's my ceiling. I can't, I can't tell you, I can't have you putting limits on me because if you put limits on me it's almost like i'm putting limits on myself right mm -hmm. so my biggest motivation i've always worked in commission sales so i mean back then i was doing that and then when i came back to the business in 2010 after i had had the long hiatus for three or four years when i came back to the business man it took me uh it took me almost a year before i realized i wasn't making any money did you hear what I said? Say? I was so impoverished. That's, that's a long time. Bro, I was so impoverished mentally. Hear me when I say this. I now, everybody else saw me. I, could pre I was preaching in churches, man, helping folks, laying hands on the sick. The sick were recovering. I mean, I was, man, I was helping everybody else, but literally mentally, I was broken, bro. Did you understand what I'm trying to tell you? I was broken. And so I'm in this car dealership. And I'm back trying to sell cars again. I'm thinking I'm selling cars. And I wasn't making jack. I wasn't making any money. I'm going to work 9 to 5, 12 to 8, working my schedule like I'm supposed to, showing up, getting on the computer, not doing anything, not taking customers, all this stuff. Finally, I sold one car. I made about $700 on the car. I said, whoa, I'm supposed to be making money. <laughs> What do you mean you're supposed to be making money? Bro, I'm telling you. Let me tell you. Let me see. If, are you familiar with the... Hold on. Listen. Are you familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Okay. In the Bible. In the Bible. You know, uh, they talk... It's, you know, it's the, I think Luke chapter 15. 
They you know it's three. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the lost son. See, according to Hebrew culture, if I have a son, that son by right, even before I die, he can come to me and ask me for his inheritance while he's still alive. This is according to their culture. Now we might not do that over here, but that's how they do it, right? So they can go there and they say, hey, if, you know, I want the portion of goods that falls to me. So he took the portion. So if his daddy had a million dollars and he was going to split it up between three kids, then he gave that boy $333,333 total going on about his business. So the boy took the money, went to a far country. The Bible said he wasted all of his substance with riotous living. That means he spent all his money, right? He, after he spent all his money gambling, whatever he was doing, he took a job. Working in the hog pen. And while he was working in that hog pen, the Bible says he almost ate what the hogs ate. You understand what I'm saying? But then all of a sudden, he came to himself. You ever had a moment where you like, you ever had an aha moment? Mm -hmm. We all have aha moments. My aha moments was sitting in that car dealership after after uh I made that six, seven hundred dollar commission. I'm like, whoa. And I'm in the same environment where everybody around me have all been making money. And I'm sitting up here struggling every day and not even, but I, I'm serious. I had gotten stuck in probably, I had, oh, this is good. I had kind of began to function in my dysfunction. And see, when you function in your dysfunction for so long, then dysfunction kind of looks like a new normal. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? And you start to change your address to dysfunction drive you know what i'm saying dysfunction drive when you not when you weren't equipped or built or made to live on dysfunction drive but you did it and that's where i was i had messed up so bad and i'm talking about i'm i'm at church singing preaching uh praying i mean everybody sees me in the public eye and then some of them wonder why i'm so mean but they, they have no clue the inner turmoil i was going through and who i'm gonna tell who was I going to tell? I ain't had nobody to tell. Nobody. Nobody. Because, I mean, I, I had to maintain a certain image, if you will. But truth be told, I was going through some straight bull. So did that, did that, did that, you maintaining that image, did that make you, push you to be who you are today? The image of more of your, of more of your morals. To who I am today, man, I, I don't think my image had anything to do with who I am today. The thing that made the thing that drove me to who I am today was my divorce, mm. because you know I, I'm I'm not a proponent of you know I know you're a coach and I know coaches uh, most of them have that tough love mentality and that's good you because you kind of need that you know what I'm saying in certain in certain areas of life but I'm not a proponent of tough love so I'm not the type of person that believes that you I'm not going to break you to build you I'll build you from where you are you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. but me. Because of where I was mentally, uh, like I said, I was a shell of myself. I was kind of trying to maintain an image, all these types of things. I think my ex had to leave me to, to be who she was and also to make me who I am. Because that broke, that break, that broke, that breaking, that's the worst word. That breaking was a blessing for me. You feel what I'm saying? It was a blessing in the fact that it made me really take a holistic look at the man in the mirror. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I know, oh, this boy, thank you. I'm glad you stayed in here instead of leaving out of me. Uh, I I know my face pretty good. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I can brush my teeth and turn my back away from the mirror, wash my face and get every area of my eyes, get the matter out. You know what I'm saying? Wipe the crevices. I can do all that. I can do that without looking in the mirror. You feel what I'm saying? I can dress in the car and put on my necktie riding down the street, riding down. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I I didn't have to look in the mirror. You feel what I'm so and this is and this is really uh this is really a metaphor for something else. I, because I didn't have to look in the mirror, I didn't. And and and, and not looking in the mirror, oh god. I think it almost made me lose sight of who I really was. But did you have anybody reminding you of who that man in the mirror? Nah, was? because they saw the image. Okay. The only one that knew who the one only one that knew that boogeyman was my ex-wife. Okay. 
She was the one that had to deal with me at home. But everybody else, they see me at church. I'm preaching. I'm singing. You know, I'm doing all this. I'm, I'm doing my thing, bro. I'm going. I'm going ham doing this thing, right? And man, but when I get in the car, I gotta go back and deal with me. Mm. I got and the same dude that had never looked at the person in the mirror. Not and then, so this is the question. This is the question, man. And this question just came to me while, while we having this conversation. I wonder if I didn't look at the mirror, look in the mirror because I I wouldn't have liked what I saw. So what did you, okay, my question is, what did you see when you looked in the mirror? I didn't back then. Okay. I didn't. I mean, like I said. So you, you were going off what everybody else was portraying you as, lifting you up. Being who I thought I was supposed to be. I got you. And, I, and, and that really, and that's, and that's, no, but you know what, man? And, and let me flip the script a little bit. All right. That's who I am. Who I was at home really wasn't who I was supposed to be. Mm. Dang, that's, that's deep right there, though. You feel what I'm saying? At home but, single or home married? At home married. I'm talking about at this time. Wow. Yeah. Who I was in public was who I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I was having trouble embodying that from home. I get That makes sense, though. You understand what I'm saying? That makes sense. Because I had to deal with it. Like I said, I could, I could be Reverend Kirkland. I could be Pastor James. I could be all those things in public. But Shanika had to deal with that boogeyman. So you kind of like the... Uh... What my man name that got that cussed out his his uh son when he knew it was getting recorded? Who? The preacher, uh, the singer, uh, Kurt Franklin. Oh no, I don't know about that. Man. I'm just saying. My point is, he was on tape. They taped him outside of church, outside of, outside that environment, cussing his son out. Yeah, but we don't know what everybody. Yeah, but we know we don't know what everybody does at home. I'm not going to say. I no, I, I'm agreeing with you saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. So your wife had to see the, what did what other people didn't see. Outside of church. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. And, and she had to deal with it every day. What's up, Dr. Wilson? Yeah, she had to deal with that every day. And and like I said, and me not looking in the mirror, I didn't even see what she saw. And guess what? When she tried to tell me what she saw, I'm like, you don't see that. But how I know if I'm not looking in the mirror? Yeah. And see that, and that, and that's the challenge is because um, and 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 honestly, if you before you leave home, most people, me, I watch, I used to watch her. She'd be in that mirror making sure her hair was right. She didn't wear much makeup, but whatever she wore, everything she did, she looked in the mirror and made and and, and to correct what needed to be correcting. I never looked in that mirror for so many years at home. So where does my correction come? It's not coming from myself. Mm-mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then when somebody else tries to correct you because you don't see what they see, then you fall into a place of offense. When you feel like you're offended because you don't see what they see. But then guess what? When I move out, when she breaks up with me, when divorces me, I'm broken now. I'm woe is me, crying, stuck on the couch at home. I finally go look in the mirror. And when I go look in the mirror, you know what I say? Damn. <laughs> she had to deal with that. I was him. Damn. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And that, and that's and bro, that's, and that is a tough situation. That's a tough pill to swallow. And then you go back to her and say, "Hey, I see what you see now. Hey, can I get another chance? Hey, I know what I got to correct now, man. Please, but they but they become so numb to what they had seen and had been accustomed to for all of those years. They become straight numb to that, and because they come numb to it, man, hey, they they they. they Hey, they dis they excommunicate themselves, and I, I mean, and, and I don't I can't blame you. I probably would have done the same thing. And that's the thing that we as individuals, a lot of times, don't take the time to really do a self evaluation. John just said situational awareness is vital in a relationship. You gotta be you you have to be aware of your situation because if you're not healthy, if you're not whole. You definitely can't be healthy and whole for somebody else. And guess what? That's probably why I never got to church over the years, because I wasn't whole. And God, and what's interesting to me is God don't let me get away with stuff that I watch him let other people get away with. I watch other people do stuff, and I'm not pointing the finger at nobody else. And if, and if anybody that I got secrets with, guess what? Those sacrifice, them secrets will stay with me until the grave that I don't, I'm not that type of person. But God, he, he's never let me get away with stuff that he's let other folk get away with. And 
And I thank him for that, to be honest with you, because it's given me uh, a certain sense of integrity. It's gotten me to the point now where I'm comfortable by myself. I'm cool. You know, people talk about Corona and all that kind of stuff, and I'm so sick of that subject. I don't know what to do. But I stay at home by myself all the time anyway. I'm just more comfortable in my own skin. And if I invite you in my space, then we we cool. We, we, you know, we arrive with that. But that was, but let me, but let, and this is kind of where I was getting to tonight. But that's why disco for so many years, because I didn't spend time in the mirror, I found myself making a whole lot of excuses mm. as for why I wasn't where I was supposed to be. You were scared to see it. I wouldn't look. Yeah, you're scared to see it. I wouldn't look. I mean, I mean, what's the excuse? Excuse is something that is offered. John, write that definition of excuse that you always put. Do it in the uh, comments for me, uh, the uh, uh, monuments of nothingness, whatever you say. But an excuse <laughs> is something offered as justification or as grounds for being excused. It's an, expre- it's an expression of regret for failure to do something. That's all an excuse is. It's, it, it's, it's a regret for failure to do something. And I, I've never failed a test in my life. I mean, no, I, I take that back. I never failed a major test in my life. I might have failed a pop quiz or something like that, but as far as failing class and all that stuff, I never failed on those types of things. So I'm 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 not one that's used to failing, but I found myself in life making excuses. And that wasn't good. Now, there are different types of excuses. I think there are some valid excuses, and I think there are some invalid excuses. What's a valid excuse? A valid excuse is a reason that you give to explain why you have done something that you should not have done or why you should not have done something that you should have done. Let me give you an example of what I think a valid excuse is. A valid excuse is you got to go to work, but it snowed last night. You live in Kennesaw, where there's a whole bunch of hills. You can't get out. You can't get out. So if you can't get out, how you? I mean, that's a valid excuse. I mean, I can't get to work. We shut down. Da, da, da. That's a valid excuse, right? But if you live in Chicago or if you live in Boston, Massachusetts, that's not a valid excuse. Why? Because they got hundreds of snowplows. <laughs> the city don't shut down just because, uh, just because of uh, snow or anything like that, right? So they're, they're, that, that's a valid excuse. If you got a kid that's supposed to be at football practice tonight, Disco. Mm-hmm. But he can't come because he has a stomach flu. If he has a stomach flu, do you want him coming throwing up on the kids? No, sir. So it's a valid excuse for him not to come. But there are also invalid excuses. An invalid excuse is, and you've told me about this before, when the kid is supposed to be at football practice, mom is sitting at home <laughs> on the couch on the phone talking to her mama, knowing the boy got to be at practice at 6 o'clock, but at six ten, she's still on the phone. Is that a valid excuse? No, sir. It's not. It's not the kid's fault. Nope. But it is an invalid excuse. Let me see what. Uh, let me see what John said. John said that excuses are a tool of incompetence used to build monuments of nothingness. Those who use them seldom amount to anything. Wow. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna read that one more time. They excuses are a tool of in, are tools of incompetence used to build monuments of nothingness. Those who use them seldom amount to anything. Now, I think that's kind of harsh. Because like I said, I think sometimes there are valid excuses. Now, John has that coach's mentality like you do. I'm that's why John, I'll never work out with John because John are always trying to have me do five more push-ups when I'm ready to quit <laughs> 10 minutes push-ups ago. So I'm not ever going to let it. But he's my friend. He's my friend. And he does. And he know. but you know, he even knows that there's a certain level of tough love that I'm just not, you know, because some people try to push me into being who they want me to be. Don't push me. Don't grab me. Don't, you know, don't, don't try to make me talk like this. If I ain't feeling it, I'm just not feeling it. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And that's okay. We all are, uh, well, you stupid, but uh, we're all individuals and people should be dealt with on their own individual uh, level. Now let's talk about what's an invalid excuse. An invalid excuse seeks to lessen the blame 
by attaching to a fault or an offense. In other words, it's an excuse that has been concocted. It's erroneous. It's faulty. It's one that can be strewed, be construed as unreliable or as a lie. And those are the excuses that people use that continue to operate as roadblocks and prohibitors that keep them from getting to the next level in life. That makes sense. Make plenty of sense. That's it. I mean, I, that really could be the whole show, but I got 20 more minutes, so I got to figure out some more to say. And the hard part about that whole thing is, how do you know, when you, if, if I'm the individual that's dealing with somebody, how do I know when a person's giving me a valid excuse or an invalid excuse? Right? And because many of us operate from the premise that everybody's a liar. You know, I'm, you know I ain't lying, Disco. Most, mo, most people do not give the individual that they deal with the benefit of the doubt. With me, I give everybody 100, start off with 100. And then you got, you got, you got, it's on you to lose that 100. You lose points. I taught my kids all the way through school. When you go to school on the first day of school, you got 100 points. If you give the points back, that's on you. So if you give back 11 points, you're down to a B. That's on you. Those were your points. So when I meet individuals, I always try to give them 100. Most people don't operate like that. I, I had a, uh, a come to I had a come to Jesus or what I call an aha moment one year when I was uh, I was going through a, uh, a drive-through restaurant. And it was a little teenager working in there. And that teenager messed my order up. And man, I could have went off. But when I went off, when I thought about going off, I looked at him. And you know what I saw? My child. And I said, why would I go off on this baby? Because if I saw somebody going off on my baby, man, I would snatch a knot in him. Man, a, a white a white dude boy tried to say something to crazy to Trey one day. I had Trey working at the car dealership. Trey was 17 by that time. And that white dude said something to him. And Trey came around the corner with his face all disfigured and mad and upset and all that. I said, what did he say to you? And he told me, I walked up to him. I said, listen, he can't. I said, that's my son. He said, what? That's my son. Well, what does that mean? He can't say nothing to you, but I can. I'll beat you up. Don't talk to my son like that. Imagine, Disco, if you had a child and you go to McDonald's and he's working at the drive-thru, and it's a grown man cussing him out, going off on him. What's going to be your, your response? I'm going to protect my child, man. You're going to protect your child. But we don't protect other people's children. Because people, I mean, we would, we would go off on somebody if the, if the coffee ain't hot, if the fries are cold, if, the, if, I, if they accidentally gave you the three-piece when you asked for the four-piece, we'll go off. And the easiest thing to do is say, hey, you messed my order up. Can you fix it? That's so simple. That's so simple. But the thing is, we don't, ADA is up, but we don't give people, well, she says, see, people, yeah, you're so crazy. But we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't, we, we don't operate with a margin for error. And so when people offer us excuses, the first thing we do is we go to the negative. That person must be lying. <laughs> or that person must have did this. Or that person must have did that. Like I'm like the day I brought Trey to practice late one day. He's 11 years old. He can't drive. Coach hollering out the hollering out the car. I mean hollering from the field while he getting out the car. You late, you late. Hurry up. And Trey already upset because he was mad the whole 45 minutes on the way to practice. Right? He mad at me for making him late. And this coach making him feel even worse. You late, you late. You know what I said to the coach? Coach, he ain't got no car. I drove him. If you want somebody to run, make me run. Oh, no, he okay. Well, then stop making him feel worse. But that's how we deal with people. We think in order to build somebody, we got to break them first. And everybody don't have to be broken to be built. Some people came to you and were already broken. I mean, when, I'm, when, when I was going through my broken state, and I was broken, bro. I mean, I was broken. Nobody knew I was broken. And guess what my defense mechanism was? And I'm going to give everybody that's my friend that's listening to me right now, that I'm, I'm going to give you all the secret right now because everybody's talking about how mean I am and how, how I cut people. It, for me, it was a defense mechanism because I was broken, because I was hurt. 
because I had made my own mistakes and I and, and was having to live through and beyond those mistakes. So to get to get to to keep you from seeing, oh God, to keep you from seeing who I really was and how fragile I really was, like that egg with that hard shell that has a soft center, to keep you from getting that close and potentially breaking that shell, I would stop you out there. I would put landmines all around me, and I got a pretty good vocabulary, so I could get them off of me real, real quick. It was a defensive mechanism. And then I got to the point where, guess what? Now I'm all alone. <laughs> now I'm by myself. Now the people that meant the most to me, I'm at, I'm, they're over there and I'm over here. Because I wanted, because I was so, I had hedged myself in so much and put this shell around me. And that's me, that's my, I'm a cancer. July 6th is my birthday. Cancers have shells and we got a soft center. So I'm, I've, I've got, I've hedged myself in so much and I got a defensive mechanism. And my defensive mechanism for me was really my mouth. My sixth grade teacher, Betty Balmaz, she, I don't know if she's passed or not. But she told me something. She said, you got a vocabulary to make a bully back down. Because you confuse them. You say stuff that you know. When you start talking, they got to pay attention. And so that's where I was. But but after 2017, October to be specifically, when when I moved out and was by myself, bro, and I was stuck on that couch, it was tough. Oh, let me see what John said. More than likely, people respond to others from self-reflection of them. Absolutely. And and, that, and that's a good point, John, because guess what? Even if you don't look... Uh, <laughs> that's a good one, John. I, well, you should have came up here. Too bad you couldn't talk tonight. Even though you don't look... Yeah, he had dental work done. But even though you might not look in the mirror... Why, I want you to catch this, Disco. Hey. Even though you don't look in the mirror, that don't mean you don't produce a self-reflection. You still produce a reflection. And everybody sees that reflection, even when you don't see it. And you and what you want to do is you want to dress it up so good that people, when they look at you and they see you, you want them to see a dressed up, polished person that's respected. And truth be told, a lot of us were anything but dressed up mess. Because we dress up by insecurity. I feel you, Anthony. I know your defense. I know I met you. I know. And, and that's why it's fun to talk to you because I've been there 15 years ago. You get me. I got you by a few years. But we, we're dressed up messes and we don't want we don't we don't want people to see those things. And because we don't, we dress it up and make it look. I mean, women put makeup on it, they put wigs on it, they put eyelashes on it, they put body, whatever this is, to cover this up inside of here. They do whatever they can to dress up mess. We, I did the same thing. I'm a preacher. I'm a call and, and, and can preach pretty, pretty, I'm okay at that. You know what I'm saying? I'm good at that. I mean, I mean, God has given me gifts, but I'm my, my personal life was a mess at that particular time. And so all I, and rather than look in the mirror, I'd rather go hide myself, hide my head in the sand. And that's really where I was. And that's why I was making all these excuses. And, and like I said, it put me in a position in life where it almost felt like, um, I was alone and people, and, and even in my aloneness, I had people that wanted to be in my life that kind of tried to force. I had certain friends that wouldn't let me be alone. Like John Wilson, John wouldn't even let me be alone. My pastor, he wouldn't let me be alone. I'm at home trying to sulk and, you know, and, 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 and wallow in the sand and all that kind of stuff. Man, my pastor, like, what you doing? Have you eaten? Come on by the church. Pass, I'm good. No, come on by the church and just put me in the car and ride. I don't even like being around people half the time. I like being alone. I don't like crowds. I'm one-on-one. I'm a one-on-one type dude. You know what I'm saying? But I had certain friends that wouldn't let me, wouldn't accept, they wouldn't accept my excuses because they understood. They knew that it's not good for man to be alone. They knew that it wasn't good for me to be by myself at that particular point. So they, and you, you need friends in your life. And this is the thing, though. You need friends who know when to and when not to accept your excuses. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's the circle you want to have. Yeah. I don't need people in my life that, yeah. that beat me down, you know what I'm saying, or... Or or don't don't know when to or when to stop. You know, it's 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 
It's a, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting. So we got to know which is which. How do I know if a person is telling me the truth or when their excuse is valid or invalid? Uh, all I really can do is just trust that individual to an extent because what I've learned it's 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 hard it's hard to accept the truth that's not your own. <laughs> so if it's not your truth, you think everybody lying. <laughs> If it's not your truth, I meet women today. They will ask me a question. I answer the question and they tell me, no, you're not. You're lying. Why? Because you concocted your own truth. And because you concocted your own truth, you're going to try to mold my truth to make it your truth. That That's what a lot of us do in society nowadays. Because communication, remember I did the show a few weeks ago. Communication, people don't listen with their ears. People listen with their hearts. And when they listen with their hearts, they get emotional. And when they get emotional, they start to miss stuff. You understand what I'm saying? I'd rather be rational than emotional. Emotions help me get to a certain point. And when I was real emotional, when I wasn't looking in that mirror, but sitting on that couch by my doggone self, it didn't teach me how to be emotional. It taught me how to be rational. I had to grow up and become, I didn't become a man really almost. Man, I was, I had a man parts and I was a man and I had a man's body, but I really grew up and became a mature man after I got, after my divorce and having to fend for myself, man, for years, I ain't had to buy paper towels, ain't had to buy toothpaste, ain't have to buy washcloths, ain't have to buy bath towels, I ain't have to buy cleaning supplies. I ain't had to buy any of those. Man, listen, I ain't had to buy tools. I ain't, my ex did all that stuff for the house because <laughs> she was the woman of the house. That was her house. So when I moved out, I, I didn't even know what I didn't even know what I didn't have until I needed it. <laughs> You'll be cooking and you realize, dang, I need some milk. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to stop in the middle of cooking, run all the way to the store and get some milk. <laughs> I'm sitting at the house, dang, I ain't got no cayenne pepper. Let me run to the store. But you, but it it, it involves. Literally not knowing what you have until you need it. Somebody can use that one. I don't know. That, that's a free sermon for anybody that might be listening. That's a good one right there. You, most of us have no clue what we don't have or what we need until we have don't have it and then we need it again. I can't even say it again. So it's hard. It's hard. It's super, super hard to accept the truth that's not your truth. So, if some, so a person can be telling you the truth. They can be telling you the truth and you still don't believe it simply because it doesn't line up or doesn't measure up to your truth or your figment of your imagination. That, that yo, yo, hey, what you do in your house don't don't do nothing for me and mine. Does that make I mean I know I use a couple of negatives right, double negatives right there, but yeah. So we gotta learn how to cordially, and this is scripture, we have to learn how to cordially coexist live together in the same world. We all get along fine. And if I t- and if I tell you something, take it at face value. Likewise, you tell me something, I take it at face value. It is what it is. So, but that comes, like I said, from a coaching mentality that operates that they ain't, they ain't taking no excuses. They Do you tell your boys at Disco? What? No excuses when it comes to when y'all are practicing all that kind of stuff. No, I mean, that's the best to give them every coach. Oh, we got somebody calling in. Let's see uh, what they are talking about tonight. Thank you for calling the Intellectual Student. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Who who do I have on the line? It's uh, Jennings. Mr. Jennings, how you doing, sir? What's happening, Disco? How you doing? Doing good, man. Just want to come in on some things that what Kirkland was talking about today. On the vaccine, getting the vaccine. That's the one that gave you the money. <laughs> Go ahead, man. I'm listening. I'm, I'm not talking about the vaccine at all tonight, Gerald. Don't 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 come. Say what? You said about you getting the vaccine. You, did you say you talking about uh? You want to talk about getting the vaccine? No, I just wanted to come in on some things that you said. You you people, you talking some good stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh no, I, I thought I, I thought a second ago you said you were calling about to talk about the vaccine. I'm saying I didn't. I didn't say I, I'm like I didn't say that. But go ahead, go ahead. Tell me what you got to say. Let's let's talk. I'm sorry. Uh, am I looking at? Am I listening to the live show? Yeah, this is the live show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm just uh, just always in, in thinking about you know the things that you're saying. The government has always really lied to us. The news has always lied to us. 
And if they're telling it to us in the news, then you know something's got to be a little bit um, fishy about it. They're doing something else besides uh, um, uh, what they're showing us. Uh, but my thing is, and, and it's all about us having our personal appeal on what's going on and having that personal relationship and understanding of what it is and doing our own research and understanding what's happening in uh, our society today. Uh, and you got people that's influencing people and falling out. And, and, and it's, like you said, it's, it's the, whole, the whole thing is that it, it's all about to divide us, man. It's a, a dividing comfort. As long as they can keep us divided, us fighting against each other, keeping us all kilted, then they can go ahead and do what they want to do because all of this stuff is really unconstitutional. We must just really look at the Constitution. This stuff, man, Kirk, this stuff is not it's, it's, it's not in our Constitution. For it. All the things they mandate on us, it's not legal. But we fall for it. We listen to it. And, and we fight about it. And that's, that's the whole plan, man. That's the whole plan. The whole plan is to keep us off kilter, keep us off focus, to keep us from from doing and, and coming together, being unified, and really making positive positive change. Um, I heard what you said when you when you talked about all of the things that you talked about for us, racism and uh, prejudice and all that. that that's some good teaching. Uh, but in the interim, that's the whole plan, Kirk. Oh, That's yeah. the whole plan. That's yes. the whole plan. So I, I, I mean, I, I called just to just to say and just to, just to share that with you, man, and just to say, man, keep doing what you're doing. Um, good positive stuff. You've done your research, and uh, and I'm excited about that. But man, we gotta do research by ourselves. Absolutely. I can't do it. Okay. Absolutely. Are you, am I on? Yeah, you're on. You're on, Gerald. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, man, we appreciate you for calling, okay? Okay, I must be looking at the wrong show, though. I think you are looking at the wrong show, but we're going to talk about it. <laughs> okay, because what, 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 is, what is the topic tonight? No, the, the topic tonight is no excuses. Oh, man, yeah, I'm looking at an old show, Kurt. I thought I was live. No. Okay, my bad, bro. That's okay. I love you, though. You were right. You were right. Hey, you, you were right. It's okay. We'll catch up. Okay. But thank you, man. Okay. This going to say thank, thank right. you again, bro. All right. All right. Is it going to go off on its own? All right. Cool. So, so we talked. So, once again, Gerald, I think Gerald was watching uh, our last show to to, uh, to get shot or not. But uh, tonight we were talking about no excuses. And But I appreciate him him for – Gerald is one of my biggest, biggest, biggest supporters. And, Gerald, I will get you your shirt. You asked me about uh, getting you a shirt, and I will make sure I get that taken care of for you. But this whole no excuses mentality, uh, this is the question I'm asking you. Is this mentality motivation or is it modern, ma- marginalization? And I think it does both. I think in football, basketball, it probably can be a motivational type mentality, but it's also a marginalization. I didn't get into the topic I wanted to get into tonight because I was going to talk about, you know, for instance, when we look at Af- look at black African-Americans as a people and how far and where we are. And, you know, a few of us have made it, uh, but, on the whole, most of us have not. You know, for every one that makes it, it's probably a thousand that did not make it right. So, but they'll tell us to be satisfied because that one made it. And I'm and I'm and the question I want to know is: Is there a valid excuse for why it seems like a lot of our people are behind? Now, I, I think there are a lot of excuses, but there are so many people. Like, for instance, I, when I when I put a I put a. I did a post. Remember when I was doing the show about the the plan, the plot to destroy black uh, the black families? I was advertised in one uh, section of the country, and all these old white people come on and start telling me, you know, you need to be responsible for yourself. You need to look in the mirror. You need to do this. But if look, but in order to really understand where we are as a people, you got to look a lot deeper than looking in the mirror. You got to go back and look at where we started from. You know, even after the Emancipation Proclamation was was announced, and 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 all the slaves were set free, they were sent to homes. And do you realize the houses that they lived in? That most of those houses didn't even have floors; they had mud. So when it rained, it was mud literally in their house. So if you got people with floors, they got a two or three foot head start on you in life as it is. 
I mean, I'm, we're going to continue this subject next week because I think this is a good subject to talk about. This no, no excuses. And because I, I want to get into the wealth gap. Um, I think I read a statistic today that said uh, average white high school graduate makes about $19 an hour. But the average black person with an associate's degree only makes about $18 an hour. Uh, so, I mean, and when you start looking at the wealth gap between the ho- households and all those types of things, is it really is is it really a valid excuse as it relates to why we're behind? And if we are behind, how do we catch up? And I think that part of the problem is we need to understand that this life is a game, but we got to figure out how the game is played and who wrote the rules to the game. Listen, I'm about to get out of here. Um, it's uh, It's been fun tonight talking. Thank you all for ch- chiming in. Disco, help. thank you for helping me get through the night. We were supposed to have a special guest, but that special guest no-showed me. Well, no, he told me he wouldn't come. So it's all good. I'll, uh, I'll have a special guest on next week. Is music playing? All right, cool. So, I can't hear y'all. But uh, it's been cool. It's been fun. Y'all remember, we're on the path to better. If you want a t-shirt, go to the www.theintellectualstew.com. Order yours there, and I'll get it in mail to you. But remember, we're on the path to better. And remember this, the world is changing. Why do you remain the same? See you next week at 8 o'clock. Oh, yeah, pay pay attention to my uh, Facebook page because I'm going to start my book club, and I want y'all to be a part of it. Talk to you later. Bye. Intellectual and practical informative and inspirational how you gonna do better if you don't know what better looks like I do come on let's talk about it with me the mind massager